Thanks to Cryer Malt, a grain of truth in every beer. This is Radio Brews News, bringing you the grainy truth for almost 150 episodes now. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and live from our salubrious and heavily guarded Brisbane studio, I'm joined by writer, delighter, and online fighter, the founding editor of Australian <laughs> Brews News, Matt Kierkegaard. G'day, Matt. Good morning, Prof. How are you? Good, mate. I thought there's just a little bit of a setup there for, uh, for, for perhaps what's to come in our discussion uh, later on, but thanks for joining us. And uh, also, uh, well, actually live from Melbourne, but in a different studio to us in that I think he's possibly in a hallway outside uh, the hotel that he's just checked out of, is uh, the current editor of Australian Brews News, James Atkinson. G'day, James. Uh, you are Prof. <laughs> and welcome back from the uh, land of the rising sun. You've been back in uh, back, back home in Sydney a couple of days and then you're down in Melbourne for a couple of days. Yeah, just came down uh, yesterday for an event that the Goose Island um, guys were doing with Two Birds. They're brewing up a collaboration as part of this Migration Week um, campaign that they do annually around the world. So um, just, yeah, was out at Spotswood yesterday at the Nest, um, hanging out with those guys and drinking some lovely Goose Island sours. So, yeah, it was a good night. So geese and Two Birds, so the migration co- collaborations have to be with bird-related breweries? I hadn't actually thought of that. Um, I think they've also done events with Boat Rocker um, <laughs> in the past, so I think that, um, that yeah, don't, I don't think it's just about the name. but um, Not necessarily, yeah. yeah. Can, you, uh, <laughs> can you give our, our listeners a bit of a, an exclusive, uh, or is the, is the beer under wraps? Uh, I'll give a little bit of an exclusive, I suppose, and, and um, deal with the, um, the fallout later. Um, I believe Goose Island has appointed an Australian brewmaster, um, and the reason that they've done that is I think that there is going to be a Goose Island brew pub happening at some point in the future, although the, the, the exact details around that um, are yet to be decided. But um, Mikko Rance, um, who was most recently the production brewer at Benspoke, and prior to that, was it Mont Shovel um, uh, has joined the Goose Island team very recently. So, so um, that um, I think suggests that they they are going to proceed with the plan to to have their own um, you know their own home in Australia. Well, there you go. I was just actually meaning, could you just tell us what the collaboration beer was? But um, you've, 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 <laughs> oh, yeah, you've I've, let, I've really let the cat out of the bag there. You've I'm let the goose right the, out of the, the bag. Out. Probably no great surprises in that, James. It, it, it's you know, it's, it's nice to have it confirmed. But when you look at what Goose Island is doing elsewhere, uh, having a consumer-facing brewery, as Matilda Bay used to call it, um, is, is a big part of it. And it, it, it's one of the things I've been watching as Goose Island grows, because as we know. People like small local breweries, and that's one of the things that's counted against the traditional big brands. And so as they've gotten into the craft area, we've seen Goose Island scale very rapidly and become ABI's global craft brand. But how do you do that whilst keeping a perception uh, in, in the consumer's mind that it's still a small local entity? And I guess that's the way to do it, have, have local brew pubs that people can engage with rather than engaging with this idea of chicago yeah, yeah absolutely um i think i think that their whole sort of um global rollout thing has definitely been brew pub led and i and i think maybe australia is um you know probably the has been the exception to the rule so far in that the, you know they, they put beer on the market um a fairly long time before they'll realistically have a, a brew pub in australia yeah, there we go. Well, look, we might um, cover that a little bit later on in the news. You're probably wondering, listeners, what is the news that we're going to be covering today? Well, in the news, in this edition of Radio Brews News, we take a look at Coopers, whose sales are up, but not at the tap. 
Uh, speaking of taps, Ferrell has been given the tap on the shoulder and asked politely to leave the premises. Hawkers coming soon to a department store near you, if near you is near London, and we'll look at the Pink Boots Brew Day. Uh, but first of all, Matt, uh, we broke the story this week uh, about Cooper's Cooper's draft sales. The overall volume and sales is up, but they're losing a little bit um, at, at tap point. Yeah, well, it was actually James picked up the story, but uh, yeah, it was interesting to see um, Cooper's had its, I think, 25th year of straight growth. Um, when I spoke to Tim Cooper at the start of the year, it was a bit touch and go whether they would, and then we had the whole uh, same-sex marriage um, debate that they got uh, probably surprisingly embroiled in, um, and they were that looked like it wasn't going to help them, but they've managed to get over the line, but it seems to have been growth outside of South Australia and growth off tap, um, which is... It's interesting to see that Tim attributed uh, James that it was craft brewers um, they're struggling with, not the, the big brewers. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, draft is only 15% of their volume as well. That's something that, um, you know, it's a statistic that shows how they were able to, you know, they've been able to stay in growth even though they've been having such a tough time um, in draft, which is just such a small part of their business. Um, but... Look, one of the questions that I actually asked him as well, and there's probably a separate story coming on this, is just around: Well, if if you you know if you if you're uh, having such a tough time with these small craft brewers, have you actually thought about buying one? Um, and he, you know, his answer to that was that they have. They've uh, they've had uh, several um, you know opportunities that they've looked at, um, and they just can't justify the sort of cost that that uh, that was sort of price tags, but that. Um, the big guys tend to pay for these breweries. They just they just can't see how it's quite worth um, what people are paying to get the amount of volume or the, you know the amount of um, incremental revenue uh, they would get from a transaction like that. So it's quite interesting that they've they've actually gotten to the point of uh, you know I think actually signing um, uh, non disclosure agreement. Yeah, signing non disclosure agreement with, with a couple of different breweries. He was saying and and um, had a good look at it. So, yeah, I was quite interested by that. Question for both of you, gents. Um, pop your thinking caps on, question without notice. Coopers is, is kind of positioned themselves as they're, they're not mainstream as such in terms of uh, big, you know, factory beer. They're, they're family-owned and, and, and proudly sort of hanging on to that as a... Um, as a, I guess, a, a point of difference, uh, they're not necessarily looking to be in that craft space. So they kind of sit, I guess, in this a bit of a no man's land in between um, to the point where, uh, and I don't think I'm disclosing any secrets here, but uh, Cooper's is the only brewery in the uh, the Gab's Hottest 100, um, the Top 100 Countdown each year, who um, requests that their beers not be made available for voting because they don't see themselves as sort of uh, in that craft space is there an opportunity there for coopers to i guess create a, a coopers craft style brand oh, mate, I, I, I think they would struggle um coopers when when it was the big two um coopers was always the you know fashionable alternative so in, in yeah the, do you reckon they were like they were craft before we knew what craft was that that's that's the funny thing is craft can, can constantly evolves craft was the you know, young upstart, the, uh, you know, to use... Um, the digital, disruptor. To the disruptor, yeah. And and for a long time, you know, Coopers had that role as well because they, they were the only ones doing cloudy ales and they were able to p 
position themselves and that they, they played up that cloudy but fine element. And so yeah. in, in, yeah. in the 1980s, the, the 1980s equivalent of you know what we dismiss these days uh, glibly as hipsters, you know, was that uni student who picked it up and uh, really gave them their growth. Um, but as a generation's rolled on, there is a new alternative, and that's the 450-odd or you know, 700, depending on which website you read, small independent breweries that have created that excitement. And so that means that Coopers isn't the big one, and they're not the small uh, hip ones, and they sit somewhere in the middle. And they really haven't done a lot to... Um, you know, they've brought out a couple of beers over the over the, the last few years. They've had the Thomas Cooper Celebration Range. They had the IPA um, that really never fired. The Extra Strong Vintage Ale continues to be an excellent beer, but hasn't you know really evolved or found a, a, a niche that occupies the cool end of the market, um, and it's still a little bit uh, assertive to to be in the mainstream. Um, and we've seen them bring out their session ale now. So they, they, they're really struggling with who they are, I think, um, and, and how do they make themselves hip. Um, I don't know the answer to that one, Prof. Yeah, it's an interesting one because, I get, yeah, they, they kind of – they were kind of there before Kraft came along. Then when Kraft came along, they were they were still there. But, but yeah, kind of missed the – I don't know. Perhaps missed the missed the opportunity to, to latch on to that kind of I, – I guess that concept. But um, good to see that they're – their volume is uh, is is growing, um, but yeah, I wonder whether the whether the tap decline is sort of you know uh, says something about about what's happening there. I do know though that they do want to be uh, in the hottest 100 this year, so they've been waiting for the nominations or the the, the actions to open, and uh, they will be listing their beers this year, is my understanding. So there's a hot tip too. There you go. So uh, late November, early December, I think um, that that will become available. So in the next in the next three weeks or so. Uh, all right. So speaking of taps, uh, Feral got the tap on the shoulder this week, and uh, it was decided that they could no longer be in the IBA. Um, this generated, it's fair to say, uh, a little bit of comment on uh, the radio, the Australian Brews News Facebook page. Are we moving forward? We, we seem to be going back and trying to reinvent the wheel or redefine craft when craft is kind of we've we've moved on from it. Is that fair to say, or am I being a bit harsh? Yeah, look, I mean, this came about, um, James posted a, a great story about the um, IBA meeting last week and uh, Feral being asked to, you know, they hadn't provided the material that was requested, so by default they were they were kicked out. And there was a little bit of discussion about that, which of course brought it back to the discussion about the IBA and the IBA's definition and you know how there was some criticism of the IBA for not having properly thought out what independence means, um, as if there is some magic all-purpose definition that is going to automatically look into the hearts of every brewer and decide whether they're a good guy or a bad actor in the um, craft beer scene, and that will automatically reveal the uh, you know gilded truth that we can all live by. And, it's, and that's just nonsense. Um, any attempt to define something like craft or independence is automatically going to exclude uh, some people who very rightly deserve to be included and include some who really don't deserve to just because that's the way that these things work and you just have to live with that but yeah you know this ongoing discussion about you know what is craft or you know what is independence um, really seems to be distracting from from uh, some of the bigger discussions that need to be taking place. Yeah, no, hundred percent agree, James. Some really good reaction to um, to your story. Yeah, I think um, you know Brendan uh, handled that quite well, just in the sense that he's not 
uh, digging his heels in and saying, you know, we'll uh, we'll take you to court if you if you don't let us join because we're eligible. Um, he's just said, look, if, if if people want us to be members, we'd like to be members. So, um, you know, the the ball's in the IBA's court now, and um, I don't think it's going that's going to be a simple one for them to solve because I don't think that there's really a consensus view among the members um, as to whether feral should be part of it. I mean, there's certainly some people that think they should. Uh, you know, I saw on our page, Matt um, Govs from um, Black Ops was saying that the you know the fact that Feral could potentially be excluded is one of the reasons why Black Ops is not a member of the IBA. Yeah, that's an interesting one, and you know, like I really respect Govs for standing up and saying, um, you know, giving their point of view, and I mean that Black Ops is a, is a good um, example of a very small, very hip. Um, uh, craft brewery they're very active on social media um, and they're making great beer but they have you know you've got three guys who are incredibly ambitious and they describe themselves as entrepreneurs um, as much as brewers um, and they make it their mission to want to grow and presumably to be sold out so I guess on the one hand you know they're benefiting from being small scrappy young independent players but their mindset personally is that well, we want to grow and presumably one day be taken over and we don't want to be excluded when we do. And that's my read of, of what they're saying. And that's, a, you know, that's perfectly legitimate. We all look at it from our own uh, points of view. Um, but yeah, it, it's a little bit the same as someone like Jasper Cuppage who never really said anything about you know being small craft or anything like that. He just wanted to be the best lager brewer that he could. And now he wants to be the biggest lager brewer in the world. And, you know, if you can do that and make good beer, um, guys like that just don't have time for, for, for some of these discussions. Ultimately, I think it is the story that an individual brewery tells about itself that is going to see that brewery rise or fall. Um, and the IBA is there to sort of probably plough the field, um, but it's the individual trees, um, you know, growth that's going to work or not, if that wasn't too bad an analogy. No, that wasn't bad. I was, yeah, I was thinking, geez, yeah, rising tide floats all boats. Now we've, now we've gone <laughs> from the marina, from the marina, and we've gone into the forest. Oh, mate, it's surfing which, turf. Which some people can't seem to see for the trees. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, uh, next, Australian Brews News broke the story this week that uh, Hawkers is a um, uh, little, you know, little family business over there in Reservoir, hitting the big time, going into um, Marks and Sparks over in um, in the UK in selected stores. Uh, just at this stage, their IPA. Big, um, you know, big ambitions uh, in export. There are four or five markets now and a whole bunch of others. Um, Madden's obviously really keen on on the idea of exporting his beers overseas. Yeah, and able to able to ship their beer cool and three to four weeks, I think it is, or four to five weeks, something like that. Something like that, yeah. And look, it's one of those things, I try and get my head around export, both the concept of it and also the, the economics of it, because we're a fairly expensive beer-producing country anyway, and to export it with those costs and then to put it into a, a, a foreign market. You speak to some brewers and they just say you can't make money out of it. The guys who are trying to do it reckon that you can. Um, so I guess that's up to individual brewers. The one thing that I always come back to is the consistency of the story that we tell as a brewing industry. Um, you know, when we're selling our beers into the Australian market, we say, drink our beers because you're going to get a much fresher, better experience um, if you do it here. Um, it, it, if you're drinking local beer, don't drink the imports. And yet you see a lot of uh, brewers wanting to export their beer and you sort of think, well, does that, in, in the consumer's minds, does that tell 
a contrary story that then devalues the stories that we're trying to tell in our strongest markets. And you know, we, we've seen it recently with Peroni. For a long time, we were told that Peroni was best drunk fresh, which is why they brew it over here. Um, and then suddenly because Asahi has taken it over and they can't brew it fresh, they're importing it and talking about the Italian uh, style. And you're sort of thinking, well, you're talking about the same thing. And that is the definition of spin when you look at the same thing and just spin it the, the way that suits you. So look, all power to anyone that's exporting. They're just that, That's just the stuff that I um, can't quite get my head around, um, whether we're undermining the stories that we tell about beer being local and being best fresh. Yeah, Mazin also has has um, been a keen student of the story that you know uh, making making beer was in a, in the same way that uh, you know preserving meat was a way of capitalising on a, the harvest or the catch or whatever it was, but not being able to physically consume it all at once. Yep. So beer is 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 in that same sense a way of you know preserving the grain and the hops um and i guess if you look at, at dortmund and a lot of the other you know port cities i guess you know london liverpool as well in, in terms of the whole story of, of ipa capitalize on you know stuff that's happening situationally i guess uh in their town or their city in their time and certain people will take advantage of it one way others will will do something else um so i guess it's one of those things where we can hang our hat on you know if a, a large department store thinks that a, a beer you know made in the little outer suburb or you know a suburb of, a northern suburb of reservoir uh, is good enough to showcase in there um, what I guess is, I don't know marks and sparks all that well but it's kind of is it more sort of David Jones or Meyer than it is you know pretty much I think so yeah when I was there in June there were a couple of Australian beers in Harrods so they do seem to be there amongst a whole range of other beers. So getting them in is, is, is a great achievement. Getting them moving once you're there, um, I guess that's the next challenge he's got. But uh, actually, Prof, far be it for me to argue with Martin Muzzin, um, which, you know, I, I'm, I'm reluctant to do. But um, I don't know that his analogy is strictly right there um, uh, about beer as a way of preserving the ingredients because that's very true of, you know, uh, cured meats. It's very true of cheese, which is preserved milk. It's very true of wine because grapes don't stay fresh and you can only make wine once a year. But one of the things that makes beer fundamentally different from those things is that grain does have a shelf life and you can store hops and so you can make beer fresh every day because you can actually store the individual ingredients and uh, whereas wine you can sell it for years beer is at its best very very fresh so uh i i yeah i, I would uh, love to have a chat with muzzin about that because I, I think he's a bit wrong there <laughs> all right no matt, there you go matt calls shenanigans um, well, not shenanigans I, I i just think that he's trying to uh to drag some of those historical um, you know, truths for other highly perishable ingredients um, into beer, which beer is actually the perishable, the ingredients aren't as perishable. Yep. No, no, I, I get what you mean. All right. Um, I'd just like uh, to quick... say that it's, it's the name of the uh, retail chain is actually Marks & Spencer, not Marks & Sparks, which is uh, celebrity agent Max Markson's PR agency. So I just wanted to make that uh, distinction between the two. Uh, well, I, I, he must have copied because Marks & Sparks is the, it's like us saying Woolies, um, for Woolworths, the uh, Londoners refer to Marks and Spencer as Marks Do and they? Sparks. Yeah, yeah. I've lived there for lived there for like four years, and I've never heard that one. So you know, there you go, more Atkinson. <laughs> <laughs> and good day to uh, Max Markson if he is listening. Yeah, we, we could use an agent. Yeah, well, Matt's uh, Matt's soapbox 
uh, sponsorship from um, <laughs> Weedy Brewing Corp is uh, is about to expire. So he might like to court uh, suitable suitors for uh, to sponsor Matt's <laughs> soapbox going forward. Um, one group that Matt uh, doesn't want to upset, um, Pink Boots are doing their brew day um, this Saturday. Uh, and this is a, um, off, off the back of uh, the, the Pink Boots grants that were uh, handed out, doesn't sound the wrong thing, awarded is the word I'm looking for. Um, and a couple of um, females in the Brewing Caper got to uh, head over to the conference, and as a result, one of them uh, has decided to, I guess, pay it forward. And um, Rogue Wave Brewing, which is down at Aries Inlet, which is down on the surf coast down here in uh, in Victoria, uh, will be hosting the Pink Boots Brew Day. Uh, where are we? So 45 Great Ocean Road, Aries Inlet, between 10 and 3. So it's a good opportunity for people to come down, get involved, learn about brewing, um, and uh, help name the beer as well and join in a tasting of Rogue Wave beers. You can feed the horses the spent grain and learn more about the Pink Boot Society from the ladies involved, and tickets are available at Try Booking. That's all the news I've got, gents. Uh, do we have any uh, – is, is the mailbag bulging this week, Matt? Mate, no, there hasn't. You bastards, get off, get off your asses and write something. We, every week we give this opportunity – and nobody leaves, leaves us a letter or a card. I think that's just the nature of the uh, the, the beast these days, Prof. You know, everyone sort of has it out in, uh, in in the comments of Facebook pages, and by the time it, you know, you... they got nothing left, you reckon? Yeah. So you know, <laughs> I was speaking to somebody uh, last week who said that they were really worried that uh, in the same-sex marriage debate that the strongest opinions were uh, for the pro were um, on the younger side and none of the kids today know how to mail a letter and they're worried that that might count against the uh, <laughs> thing. And, uh, so maybe that could be it. That, that, could be that, that could be the reason, Matt. Uh, but, yeah, look, it also I think we probably do, uh, to be perfectly Francis, we do probably – uh, appeal to an audience who is more likely to catch up with us um, at an event, at a function, at a bar, and sort of mention to us that, uh, oh, yeah, look, I like to think on this and and give us a bit of feedback. I certainly have had a little bit of um, uh, just chat feedback, informal sort of feedback, people liking the brighter, tighter version of, of Radio Brews News and the fact that we've taken the beer as a conversation to a separate sort of platform uh, and people are finding that, uh, great, great to catch up with the news short and sharp, and then uh, listening to the... And, and if they miss the beer as a conversation, they don't have to kind of weed through, you know, a month of uh, of now irrelevant news to get to the uh, to the interviewee. I've had the same feedback myself, Prof, so, uh, yeah. Oh, there we go. And, uh, yeah, this week on uh, Beer as a Conversation, we get to chat with Dave Phillips and Liam Pereira. It is Dave Phillips and Liam Pereira. Um, we got one in yeah. the bag last week. And uh, so, yeah, having a follow-up chat to uh, them about Sydney Beer Week and then just a little bit of uh, prognostication about beer tourism and uh, all that's happening in the world of beer. So uh, a great chat with those two uh, very passionate beer guys. Yeah, speaking of passionate beer guys, James, we probably should give you an opportunity perhaps next week to give us a Japanese roundup. I know you weren't there specifically in your role as a as a beer journalist, uh, sorry, award-winning beer journalist, but uh, I'm sure you managed to, in between, you know, sake sessions, you managed to get a, a find a, a beer or two? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I look you, anywhere you go, you, you look for a good beer, don't you? And um, as uh, along with the uh, the ample uh, amounts of Asahi and um, Yebisu and Suntory uh, premium malts, um, you know, all, all the sort of mainstream lagers that you, you find yourself drinking over there. I did try and um, get around and, and, and try a few craft beers as much as I could. People might be visiting Japan in the next few months and might uh, be after a couple of recommendations for some good venues. 
Yeah, look, I, I got the feeling that um, the Japanese market was sort of a few years behind where Australia is, just in the sense that um, I think there's really only a handful, not even a handful of breweries that actually have scale that are that are independent. Um, I mean, if you if you're uh, around and trying to find um, craft beers, it's pretty slim picking. The, you know, if you go into you know most of the the, the bottle shops or or really their convenience stores there that tend to serve alcohol as well. I sell alcohol as well, but there's really not much um, aside from the one brewery that, that um, is probably the best known is Yoho, which is um, you know part owned by Kieran, uh, and they their beers are fantastic. Look, I had a, a few of their beers and they were really really nice. Um, but and then there's another there's another brewery called Bad Beer, which is in Tokyo. They make some really nice beers that seem to be fairly widely distributed. But um, you know, really after those guys, you just sort of found that you, you find that. The, the breweries are really, really small, and um, yeah, just not really. Uh, they don't really have access to, to those sorts of distribution networks, as in the, you know, in the off-premise. I picked up some of the local street press there, and um, was reading um, this editorial where the guy was saying, "We continue to see a, fruit, a few breweries open each month in Japan, and this has been going on for at least a year. Most of small brew pubs in urban or suburban areas." Um, so, the, you know, and he sort of goes on to say that the trends that are happening in Japan are very similar to what's happening in the rest of the world, just in terms of the whole um, really localization and, and very small breweries servicing a local market. Yeah, you touched on an interesting point there. A lot of um, the Japanese uh, brewers and venue owners that I've come in contact with over the last few years of um, uh, AIBA judging uh, Small is is the big thing over there. Like, and when we talk small, we're we're talking about you know like a a hole in the wall that that you might find in a turned into a little you know um, funky coffee shop in a in a Melbourne laneway. We'll have you know a a fifty liter brew house, you know, basically a, a home brew kit, just sort of pouring one one beer. Very very is it? I don't know. Is it kind of like the drawing on the the Japanese heritage of of bonsai or something like that? <laughs> Oh, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that exactly, but certainly um, small is one thing that you, you, know, you do see there, both in a production sense and also just in the bars. I mean, there's this area of Tokyo called Golden Guy where there's 300 bars that are all like, every single one is a shoebox. You've basically got like just room for a bartender behind the bar and then six seats around it. And yet, you know, some of these places have got have got beers on tap um, and they've got those you know, they've got the smaller kegs, so you know, there's, there's, I think there's quite quite a few craft beer bars in um, in Tokyo that might have 10, 10 beers on tap or whatever, but they're all uh, 30 litre or they're probably smaller um, kegs than that. Um, yeah. yeah, so I, don't know, I, don't know, I, like, I like the bonsai analogy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it reminds me of that, that, that classic old bonsai gag about the, uh, the guy who had such a successful bonsai nursery had to move into smaller premises. <laughs> And look, on that note, uh, that might be a good chance to uh, have ourselves away for another week. Thank you very much, listeners, for putting up with us again. Hope you're enjoying it. If you do, then uh, get on your uh, Google machine and uh, let people know what you think of us so that you can help other people to find us. Matt, thanks very much again for your contribution this week. My absolute pleasure, Prof. And James, safe travels uh, as you return back to Sydney. Um, Sorry we've turned on a bit of a crappy day for you today, but uh, I'm sure things will get better next time you're down. Good to be with you in Melbourne, Prof. Yeah, no worries, mate. And uh, Matt and James, can we are we going to catch up in a month or so? We are. We're going to have a uh, first ever Brews News Christmas party, we hope, where we can all meet up and uh, visit a couple of 
uh, bars to get our Christmas schedule so we can uh, only maybe take one week off over Christmas and also just catch up and have a couple of nice beers together. And those nice beers will be coming to us from our good friends in Sydney. Is that right? Is that where we're going to hopefully be able to catch up? That's the plan. All right. So if we haven't spoken to you on Brews News and you're a, or, or you know of, uh, you know, perhaps a, a cool venue or a, a funky little brewery that's just uh, opening up or a brew pub that uh, it might be worth us visiting, uh, let us know at, um, and send us a, flick us an email or send, send us a text or send up a smoke signal and uh, we'll do our best to cram as many uh, into our visit as we can. So that's coming up middle of December. If we fixed a date maybe for next week's podcast, what do you guys reckon about doing a meetup with Sydney listeners? Personally, it's something that I've never thought to organise because I can't imagine anyone actually wanting to come and have a beer with us um, and see it in as any way as a treat. But uh, listeners... Uh, <laughs> unless, we're sh- unless we're shouting the bar. Uh, uh, unless we're shouting the bar. And, and that might be able to be arranged as well. But uh, if Sydney listeners, if you would be interested uh, in maybe coming and having a beer with us one afternoon, let us know and maybe we can put that on the agenda as well while we're all in town together. All right, just hang on, Tim. I'm just checking to see if the entertainment... Yep, the entertainment centre is free on that day, so (laughs) I'll put a tentative booking in. Yeah, you uh, preempted what I was going to say, Prof. I'm just trying to think of what the biggest um, tap room is in Marrickville. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Just as long as we have a bigger group than the telephone gang. And no knobs with keyboards. No, that's it. It'll be a keyboard-free zone. (laughs) But but feel free to like Instagram and Facebook the shit out of the thing, and uh, it could be fun. That's I don't know what we've let ourselves in for, Matt. It could it could it could be Martin Place uh, stocks and boxes of rotten tomatoes, uh, <laughs> yeah. or or it could be the best session we've ever had. We'll see. We'll see. So uh, we'll 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 put that into planning for next week. We'll mention the dates that we're going to be uh, hitting your town, Sydney, and um, look after us. Be be gentle. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks very much. This has been Radio Brews News. Coming up with, actually, 150 might be, um, no, no, we'll just be over 150, won't we? Yeah. But anyway, it'll be worth celebrating anyway for our Christmas party. Um, Thanks very much for joining us, and we'll see you all again next week. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, James. Thanks, Prof. Thanks, Prof. Thanks, Prof.